Want entertainment designed just for you? Then check out customizable streaming TV from Xfinity. It makes your life simple, easy, awesome. Xfinity gives you customizable streaming TV options. Enjoy the most free shows anywhere on any device and even access your streaming apps right on your TV with X1. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Steve Agee, and you're listening to my podcast, Steve Agee. Uh, um, this is probably my fifth attempt at recording an intro. I get about eight seconds in and then bail. Let's hope this is the one. Um, my guest today is my good friend, <laughs> David Dasmalchen. Um, you may know him. Uh, well, I first became aware of him in a little movie you may have seen called the dark Knight. Um, my refrigerator just kicked in. I'm so hypersensitive to noise, especially when I'm recording, because I can hear it a lot better with this mic and headphones on. Uh, Dark Knight, yeah. David is extremely talented. You may know him also from Ant-Man. He also has a, a great movie that he wrote and stars in called Animals uh, that we talk about. Really, really good. I can't recommend it enough it's on itunes you should check it out um i met david this past summer uh, we were supposed to do a movie together in south america but um after my dad got sick i had to bail um from going down there um but at least i met david and we became good friends and he's super talented this is a really good podcast i love this episode so much um I really had no idea how good a storyteller Dave is. Um, he talks about, it tells a really amazing story about meeting, um, uh, <laughs> William S. Burroughs. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm operating on three hours of sleep currently. I hopped on a red-eye flight to L.A. last night, went to bed at 3, got up at 5.30 this morning, went and shot an episode of New Girl. I haven't taken a nap yet, so um, I'm exhausted. Um, but yeah, Dave tells an amazing William S. Burroughs story. He met William S. Burroughs. That's crazy to me. Um, and he, and uh, a lot of uh, other amazing stories. He talks about his uh, addiction um, to heroin, which I was aware of, but I, I will not, I will never ask somebody about that kind of stuff, uh, especially on a, in a public forum. Um, but, uh, he started talking about it and it was uh, fascinating and I'm so glad, uh, that David is still around to talk about it. You know, this came up at about the same time, you know, we were talking about this just like a week or two ago before um, Harris Whittle's uh, one-year anniversary of him overdosing. And um, 
so we get into that a little bit. It's kind of heavy, but um, it's fascinating, and I'm so glad uh, David beat that monster. Um, and I'm now recording this intro and putting this out about a week after Harris uh, Harris's uh, one year anniversary. Uh, that was a horrible day. Uh, and a year later, uh, it was just as sad. I mean, it's always going to be sad. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm not going to launch into this right now. Listen to the podcast. Um, it's very interesting. Um, I'm so happy David did this. Uh, it really is one of my favorite episodes. Um, and, uh, I hope you enjoy it. Now let's start the podcast. I at one point thought I had a sinus infection. I was sure of it because I, I would feel so shitty when I woke up. It's always the worst when you wake up in the morning because yeah. you've, you've been on your back and it's just been building up in your sinuses without moving. And then you sit up and you're like, oh, I can't, I can't breathe. I think I'm dying. And then by the afternoon, I'm like. Okay, I can deal with this today. Well, I had also I had Arlo full time. I'm in the midst of a bunch of crazy work shit, and Eve was painting all day. And I and and it was like we just there's she couldn't postpone her job, and I had to be yeah. doing things I had to be doing. Like I had a really important meeting on Friday, and just, I remember I had taken a Sudafed before the meeting. And <laughs> we're was, recording by the way. Just here. I was sitting at UTA, or no, where was I? I forget where I was. So like 360 or something but i was just like i didn't know what was going on yeah i was out of my mind i was i really it was the first time i felt high in a long time to be quite honest yeah i this sudafed i thought i had done cocaine like yeah. my face started getting real heart weird and pounding. like <laughs> i wanted to smoke a cigarette you know all of a sudden i wanted to like drink a like a diet coke and smoke a cigarette yeah. and pace around i yeah, I was really like for a week trying to beat this, and I I thought I had at one point, because you know, for me like a cold, like it just when it first comes on, I don't feel sick or anything, but I get this weird feeling in my sinuses in the back of my throat when I breathe. Yeah, that it stings like like it's so dry, and maybe from <sighs> the post nasal drip that just air on the back of my throat hurts, and I'm like I'm getting sick. And so just for like four days, I was just pounding like fluids, fluids and medicines and yeah. going, I'm going to beat this. And then I thought I did. And then Thursday I was at dinner with a friend and all of a sudden just my nose started to run and it just wouldn't stop. And I was like, oh, I'm sick. That's it. I'm sick. Yeah. And I had shows to do. I had that show on Saturday right, to do. Right. I had a show on Sunday, which I had forgotten about. And I was just like, I just want to sleep. And uh, yeah, by Sunday, I thought it was a full-blown sinus infection. And then Monday, I woke up and it was gone. Yeah, I started feeling a lot better yet the day yesterday, really. Yesterday and the and the day before, I started coming around the bend. Do you get sick a lot? I mean, you, no. have, you have a kid, you and you still don't get sick. A lot? I don't get sick very often. I I, I think like a twice a year, I'll probably get a cold. I usually get a summer cold and a winter yeah. cold. But I have we've been doing the flu shot the last couple of years. I haven't gotten a bad flu. Knock on wood. I haven't had. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a while. I've been really lucky. But January, I just I pushed myself to 
too hard. Like I was doing, I was in, we were in Chicago. It was sub zero. Yeah. I was doing days from, I was waking up at 5.30 and yeah. I wasn't going to bed until 2.30. And yeah. I was doing massively stressful things. And I was traveling back and forth between yeah. to do more stressful stuff. So I think that I just maxed out. And isn't it weird how your body can hold it off until until the second I, you're the done? The second we got home. I was, that's when I knew I, I just laid down and I was, and, and Eve was like, okay, now we have permission to be sick because we couldn't have been sick yeah. the week before. It would have, I would have been devastated if I had been yeah, when sick you've got trying to get all the stuff that I needed up. to be doing and the exciting things I was trying to accomplish and like, I got through Fly, it all. Yeah. Flying's the worst when you're sick. It's awful. And you feel guilty. You're, yeah, you're like, I'm infecting all these people. I feel like such a, I just feel like such a pariah. When if I walk onto a plane with a cold, I do my best. I'll like go in the bathroom and try and borrow Eve's makeup. Like I want to look powdered and fresh. <laughs> I don't like you carry a baby and a cold onto a plane. You're like that guy's patient zero. You should have like an M on your chest. You know, it's terrible. Yeah, when I was flying, I I you know get on the plane and I just I'm like, please just don't sneeze or cough. I don't want people to know. I'll just sit by the window and I'll turn my head to the window and I'll stuff, you know, Kleenex up my nose to stop the running. And yeah, I feel really guilty when I fly. Do you do that? Do you stuff Kleenex up your nose? I do it to clear one. It'll like, I'll clog one passage just enough that the other will open so that I can get the breathing going in one. And then I'll clog up the other one because I feel like if they're... 80% 80% clogged, it drives me crazy. If I 100% clog one of them, then the body has some kind of emergency reaction to it that it will open up the other one. I'm not kidding. Try We're this opening. next time. I always just plug them both up because I'm like, it up. fuck it. And then it's plug just it up. draining down my I pl- throat. No, I plug one and then the other one will eventually, especially at night when I can't breathe. It's the worst. Do you and ne- if you breathe through your mouth. I do. We do neti pot, but you make sure, please, promise me. Boil. Please. Because you don't want the the side effects of bad water up there. Yeah. What are the Boiled side water. effects? Death. AIDS. <laughs> no, a bunch of people have died. Of AIDS. It's not AIDS. <laughs> but a bunch of people have died from neti potting with uh, are tap. Are we recording? Yeah. With are ta- we re- yeah, with tap water. <laughs> um, yes, they have. I know. It's not safe. So I've taken to boiling my tap water. Boil- well, you just I- filter it. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, but I have an electric neti pot. And it oh, is, it like heats the water for you. No, no, no. It's like it shoots, shoots it up, the yeah. water through. And it is a, a game changer. We have an old school neti and it's great. Yeah. yeah. I like the experience. Yeah. I like yeah. it. I love it. Yeah. The first time I did it, I was like. I was scared, but I liked it. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I just made water go up one side of my nose and out the other. I was nervous. I felt so proud like I had accomplished something. Like, yeah, well, Eve had been doing it for a while and was like, come on, try it. And I was like, oof, I just don't know. And it was like, you know, like like somebody tempting you to do drugs. She was like, come on, just give it a shot. And I was yeah. like, God, I don't know. It's, I'm scared. I was always just like, yeah, it's such a hippie thing to do. And Oh, I just thought the idea of it gave me a little bit of the creeps. Like there's like, there's going to be just water like tubing its way through my nasal cavity and like, pumping gunk out like the other no like I, that always bothered me when people would stick string like there's always oh, that yeah, one kid yeah, in your high school yeah. that could stick a piece of string up his nostril and pull it out the other side not oh, into that stuff no. man like that gives me the creepies that still gives me the creeps even after did you ever see crumb yeah remember how his brother swallowed uh, yeah like a like 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 something like 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 a hundred yards of cloth that he then pulled out uh, yeah 
it's like some yogic like ancient cleanse <laughs> so disgusting <laughs> fucking can you the imagine the smell ah <laughs> uh, no thank you yeah have you ever done a neti pot and then half an hour later you're like sitting on the couch and you bend over to tie your shoe and all of a sudden a little bit of water a little just bit more water it comes drains out. out of your nose yeah um my guest is david dastmalchian did i say that correct close enough david yeah david, it's you, david. david. i got the david wait how do you pronounce it like uh the, like the day is long and then like you're gonna watch a video like david no but that's oh, my last yeah. name dast mulchin is the trick that i tell people is like uh imagine you're from the bronx dast and you, and you've got a small chin dismulchin dismulchin so you hit, say dismulchin dismulchin hit me on dismulchin you don't say it with three uh dismulchin that's three syllables, syllables. dismulchin 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 okay yeah it yeah. is like dismulchin not mulchin not chin no the the a is silent um, although I don't know what like the I don't know what the it's what's a, the it's origin a, it's, a, it's a it's a Farsi word it's a it's a it's an old old um, Persian or Farsi uh, word uh, that means a seller of handkerchief which <laughs> that ties you can into then my swallow yeah, yeah. And, and pull, pull out all the way out your bungus uh, and <laughs> that's all I know about it but I do believe that if we were in the Middle East you would pronounce it quite differently. But I think that's like the way the smulch. The smulch. I don't know the smulchian. David Jun. The smulchian. What accent are you using in Ant Man, by the way? While oh, it's still in my head, and you're doing a Farsi. I was doing Russian in in Ant Man. I'm playing like he's from um, somewhere. I was thinking, imagine a little village outside of Siberia, like near Siberia. You would say, um, yes. Does Kurt Does Kurt have a last name? Yes. Um, and you can't pronounce it. I can't even say it on the air. I can't pronounce. Uh, no, he doesn't. Uh, but did I, you? A question. Did you do? Um, see, uh, 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 what are they called? Uh, dialect coach. A dialect coach. Interestingly, my friend, I, I have a, a friend I've I had since I moved to LA named Isidora Gorishter, but she's a totally American. Her name's Izzy. We call her Izzy. But she, her parents are um, have very thick uh, accents. And uh, she used to live down the block from me. Now that she lives around the corner from me. But I hung out with, with Izzy's family uh -huh. when I was auditioning. Yeah. Uh, and then I would call Izzy when I was getting ready. I had to te when I was testing for the role, they gave me these sides, and I, and I was actually speaking Russian in the old version of the script. I had a couple of um, like curse words when I'm like trying to break into a safe or something. Yeah. And uh, so I would call Izzy, and she'd help me. But um, but then. And Izzy, by the way, play, she plays a lot of Russians, interestingly. Uh, she's on that show Shameless. She play, do you watch oh, that show? Oh, yeah, I she love plays Shameless. The, the, she's like a Russian prostitute who yeah. had a baby with yeah. uh, these guys. Yeah. Sure, yeah. So, oh, man, that's great. Yeah, My she, friend Lynn just directed a bunch of uh Then they, they probably know each other, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, um, so then I got to San Francisco to start work, and, they, and Marvel had uh, brought in a couple of um, – linguistic coach you know people to help me but i they came we sat in the trailer for a little while and they're like the you're shit, good and we hung out yeah they were cool they were like you got he's he is very good it's like for nice it's for you want to for funny not was it like, something you would turn on and off or were you, you like once you showed up on set were you because i think no. i would have to keep doing it otherwise i would slip when i was first working on it i spent 
much more time like if i was dry drove eve my wife um up the wall you know we'd be like i'd be like oh this is for Def leopard i love this song this drummer remember when he played for poor sugar on me with no harm he's really good i love this is jamming and yeah. she would be like dude stop. so i did that um for a while and then by the time we get to to filming i think it's it was it was fun i, I, I a funny story was when I was uh, when I did go in to test for the role uh, at Disney with uh, at that point we had a different director it was Edgar Wright who was yeah. who was hiring me yeah. and I went uh, there was a, a bunch of guys auditioning or testing for the these roles and um, and they had kind of a, a little coffee and and snack area in a room <clears> where you have to basically when you when you test for a big movie like that at least for my experience has been NDA. you kind of have to sign all no not the NDAs you're just signing a contract saying this is how much I'll agree to be oh if I get hired if I get hired I'm make this much. this is what this is what we've been you know what we've agreed to so you do that before they even let you walk onto the soundstage yeah. to yeah. shoot because then you shoot scenes and then they decide yeah. if they're going to hire you. So I'm hanging out. It's a very nerve-wracking experience. And that was a day I was totally in, like, I had my hair done, like, certain way. I'd, like, grown beard. I thought I was going to use it for beard at this time. I had, like, uh -huh. uh, the clothes on. <laughs> yeah. And I was hanging out, like, drinking coffee, looking for creamers. And um, Rudd was there, uh -huh. being the nice, awesome dude that he is. You know, we do scenes together. And then he's just, you know, just hanging out like, how you guys doing? As You know, you having fun? Yeah, and this is good, really cool. I hope you guy. get the part. And I was like, thanks, man. Or we're talking. And I know he was like trying to make, being nice, making small talk with me. And he's like, uh, so, you know, when, when, you when did you, when did you come over? Like how, you know, how, how long have <laughs> no you been way, here? That's great. And I, and, and, and Paul grew up in Kansas City a mile from where I grew up. No and shit. He went. I think he was the same year as like my oldest sister in in high school, and he worked at the same mall that I went on to work at <clears throat> when I was in high school. So no he he shit. says to me, you know, oh man, great job in there, and you know how how long you been over? And I I said, um, <laughs> well, I come for work visa. I was um, assistant manager at Long John Silver at Oak Park Mall. And he was like, what? You, you know where the Oak Park Mall is? And I was like, yes, this was where I was making um, my living and I was working there. And, he, and then I was like, Paul, I'm I'm from Overland Park too. I, w I went to, he went no to a school shit. called Shawnee Mission West. I went to Shawnee Mission South. No. F a lot of com comedians in that world. I, I am not a comedian, but Paul. David Paul, Keckner, I believe is from there. Keckner. Uh, um, Rob Riggle went to Shawnee Mission South where I went. Jason Sudeikis went to Shawnee Mission West where Rudd went. John um, Hamm, is he from? I don't know about John Hamm, but, but the guy on Modern Family, what's his name? Oh, He's yeah. very funny. Uh, um, yeah. Cam is his character's name. I can't think of his name. He's another Kansas yeah. guy. Yeah. And Kirstie Alley and, you know. William S. Burroughs. There's some good Kansas. William natives. S. Burroughs. Wow. He actually was born in St. Louis, but I um William S. Burroughs, when he got to a certain age, he settled down in and there's a lot of stories about why he chose the place he did. Some say it was like the UMKC was giving him full access to their methadone supply. Who knows why? But he went to this little town called Lawrence, which is where the University of Kansas is. And at that time I we he was he had become legendary in my eyes in my friends' sure, eyes. You yeah. know, I, by the time I was like eighteen, I had started to really get into like his shit. And yep. I moved to Chicago, and I was publishing this little zine with my friends where we would 
they were in different campuses around the country and we, it was free. So they would just be put up in record stores and at local like comic yeah. shops. And I get this call one day from this Kansas number in my apartment in Chicago. And it's this guy who says that he's editing a book with Burroughs and they picked up the zine and they dug it. And they said there was a lot of poems in there about Kansas. I said, well, I'm from... It wasn't just poems, short stories and fiction and, and weird art. And I said that you had written or I had with a bunch of, of it, other people. But the, what, the way we did it, the concept for it, this is us being like 18 and like sure. this really heavy idea. I mean, we smoked so much pot back then and everything else. But yeah. I was like, my idea was that it was no titles and no author names. So it all bled together as this like 50 or 100 page. Like run on. Just run on thing. And you didn't kind of know where one thing started and the other. And what was cool about it was that when I would be kind of curating, putting it together each, we do it quarterly, how there they never failed that like there always was some synchronicity with the like a, th- a through line or a theme maybe it was the amount of pot i was smoking i don't know <laughs> but i get yeah. this call so he says well next time you're in kansas you know we'd love to love to chat so i like went home and i met the guy his name was uh jim mccrary we met at this bar called the full moon in uh in downtown lawrence and in the middle of the afternoon and and we talked a lot about like zines and writing and everything and then i kind of felt like i was getting vetted a little bit like maybe they were just like i was like my interview and yeah. then he was like i've got somebody who'd love to to meet you so then he we get in his car and we drive into like it just yeah, looks it like was a, a little, total pre-interview. It was, and then we get to this little like it looks like a, where your grandparents would live. A little tiny house in Lawrence, and we go to the front door, and this other dude opens it, who is like his assistant, and Bill is standing in the middle of this Bill living room, holding this giant like elephant gun that he's just been at an antique show and bought a bunch of new shit. What the and he's fuck? like, he's standing. I'm not shitting you, Steve. In a suit, like a brown suit. Uh, holding this giant gun. This is my first impression as I walk into his living room. Oh, my God. And he's like, well, hello there. Come on in. Have a seat, will you? And I I sat down on his couch, and we, we, I mean, we we talked about Chicago, and when I was living in Chicago, you know, I was a- How old are you at this point? What is this? 18, 19. Fuck. Yeah. And I've got green hair, and I'm wearing, like, overalls. Like, I look like- like a mix between a raver and a farmer and like an alien. He probably would have loved that. I think he did because yeah. we had a blast and we smoked cigarettes and talked about the you know the good times that and and we just it was, what was really crazy about it man it was just one afternoon we drank scotch he had this little rolly chair that he he was so I was I was taken back by how we of a man he was he had so much presence he didn't seem human he almost seemed alien like or like reptilian but he was so we and he he had these dress shoes with kind of long soles and he was using his tiptoes to like guide his little rolly chair around the living room and if you sit back on this little vintage beautiful chair nothing is extravagant by the way it's like a grandparent's house but then you notice like oh that's a the painting behind me on the couch is like from Kurt, like Kurt Cobain had given him some painting, or like Jesus he has all no these original pu- publications just around. I did check his bathroom by the way because I take a leak at one point. I totally like went through <laughs> all of his chest. cabinets, and, like I couldn't find anything. <laughs> really, I didn't find shit. But he, um, 
We talked about Chicago a lot. We talked about the Lincoln Park Zoo. We talked about um, writing and, and all that good stuff in Rimbaud. We talked about a bunch of a bunch of things. But but the things that stand out to me now, when I look back on that, what's so odd and kind of wonderful was how much we did talk about the concept of zoos, and we talked about um, the Lincoln Park Zoo and the time that he spent during like um, the Democratic National Convention in the '60s and all the the, the drama that had unfurled and that he was privy yeah. to and Years later, as you know, because you saw animals, I ended up living basically at the Lincoln Park Zoo and shooting junk and being like, yeah. and it didn't, that whole thread didn't hit me until the last couple of years, like years after all that kind of shit fell out. And I was like, you didn't even that's see so that come odd in. that like he and I really like had a connection about that place that would be so integral to my life as like a what's junkie. his What's his feeling about zoos? Oh, that they were nece- like educationally, necessary. not necessary, but educationally useful. Yeah. But like, you know, they are a privilege of the first world. They are something yeah. that is. And, and it's like it's it's but very sad. <laughs> we both we came to this concept where he's like he much more eloquently than I could v- verbalize this. This there was I'm going to keep doing my because with the sure, headphones on it's sure. fun to do your it sounds your good yeah. impression Bill <clears throat> Bill as you call hey, him Bill. yeah and he uh, you, you know he, he said you walk you walk through the zoos and what you see there is the is the creature at the greatest of his capabilities could have been the, the, the king of the jungle instead he's confined to an 8 by 10 foot cubicle much like many of the people we are surrounded by every day oh my god and I was just like yeah man shit just flows out of his brain yeah no it was it was it was I've been very I think it's surreal and odd and, and wonderful sometimes that like those events that happen in, in my life like the people like that would that's one that really will so is that just a one-time thing that's the one time you met and, and william then, s bros yeah that one time and he died months after that fuck yeah maybe yeah. maybe not maybe a year after that but he i went to um i dropped out of, of college for a little while and i and i met up with a buddy of mine named josh Lerner, who i grew up with in kansas and we were you know we were all kind of i think a lot of friends groups of friends had that maybe i'm wrong but i feel like i've seen i've talked about this with other guys maybe you had this like i had a group of friends and, and and when we were coming of age, like 17, 18, 19, and we were doing a lot of drugs and doing a lot of yeah. hitchhiking, doing a lot of going to concerts, yeah. we start and reading a lot. Well, you yeah. kind of go like, okay, you're the Ginsburg, you're the Burroughs, you're the, you're the Kerouac, Kesey. and you're the, the, the yeah, yeah, you're 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 Neil Cassidy and uh and Josh was like our Ginsburg and we met up in Seattle, we were gonna hitchhike uh, all over and um Oops, and I remember he had the uh the news had broken. It was just like so amazing that i got to even meet the guy let alone talk to him you know because of a zine because of a little zine that i made the the fledgling press that's what it was called called, i still have we only ended up making like eight i did it for like two years but um i had free copy privileges at depaul and i would and my friends from all over would send and like my mom sent something in my sister put something in one Uh, old high school teacher had something in one and then friends and strangers and uh girls that I'd hit on you know like yeah i was the, i'm the editor of, yeah, i'm you, the editor of a zine you, you know? have a, a story you want to put <laughs> in I, I can make that happen 
<laughs> you should come by. We do some give you a note. You session. should. I mean, you should scan those and put them up. You know, on like Tumblr or just yeah, or at least just to preserve them. I I would love to. And a lot of that stuff that was how we published back then. I I wrote a novel when I was like a freshman in college that we Jesus. that was written on a brother word processor. Yeah, but there's only. Like, I should make photocopies of that fucker before it could be gone. I don't even have a copy of it anymore, actually. I got evicted from an apartment one time, and they threw out a <laughs> box of all my, like, oh. prized shit. Oh. And that my original draft of my—it's not a good book, mind you, but it's still something I wrote when yeah. I was a kid. It's I'd cool love to have to that have. stuff, yeah. Luckily, Josh Allen Ginsberg has—he told me recently. <laughs> he's, he, he meticulously kept all of our archives, thankfully. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. I should scan that and then, and the other stuff that we, uh, that we made back then, man, I'd love this. I'd love the, for my own. I still can't believe you, you met him yeah. and there's such a fight. Oh. That's just a great story too. Just the way that it happened. Like, all right, you're cool. I'm going to take you to meet. I felt like I got, yeah, I passed the test, whatever the test was. And did you know you were going to meet him or? No. When I met McCrary. That was who I thought it was going to be. I knew he was Burroughs' editor. He was working on a book of dreams at that point, which I think was the last thing that Burroughs published. He was writing a book about his dreams. It was kind of a diary of dreams. Uh, maybe it was oh, The Cat yeah. Inside. He was writing something called The Cat Inside at that time. And, he, and they might be – I'm getting it mixed up. They might be the same. But he – so McCrary and I met, and that was that was kind of what I thought was I was I thought that was cool enough that the this this dude who's editing for yeah. who's friends with, you know, the man. Oh, wants so you to like weren't hang like out with me. I didn't. I have no. He wasn't like, hey, I want to meet you and, and maybe see if maybe we could go. No, it was totally like the conversation was awesome. We talked and talked and talked, and it reached this kind of zenith where it was like you reached that end of a conversation where it's like, okay, thanks, man. Let's uh, stay nice in touch to or whatever. Yeah. And he was like. All right, I've I've got somebody that I really think want, would like to meet you. And then did you know at that point th- when he said you, that, yeah. and then when he said, "I'm driving," like he they were they're secretive about like even like the I feel like <laughs> I was like, "Wait a minute, put a bag over my head or something like the route there." Yeah, like could you find that house again if you had no, to? No, because I try. I thought about it. The adrenaline was pumping so hard when he drove me, and he was saying things on the drive like, "Just be yourself." He's like, "What you you know how you've just been? Just be yourself, man." Just like, and he but was, he never mentioned Burroughs. He didn't say we're going to Bill's house. He just was like, "Just be cool, just be yourself," and he's totally a cool guy. And and That's we pull up, fucking like something out of a David Lynch movie. Literally, yeah. yeah. Or a William S. Burroughs <laughs> or a William novel. William S. Burroughs novel. Yeah, yeah. Pretty amazing. Oh, I'm so fucking jealous. I. I wish that I had. I wish it was the era of like selfies to back take a then. photo. I, I, I was gonna say like uh, back then. You know what? I was. I was. I was traveling a lot then, and like I used to buy this thing called the 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 the. the Gray Pass. If it was, it was a Greyhound bus, you could bet you could bus all over no and get shit. on and off. It was like it was like two hundred bucks for a month or two, and you could kind of just get on when off when you wanted, what? And, as long as it wasn't a sold out bus. And I used to always take around those disposable uh, cameras, point and shoots. This is all what I always had. Is this was, when you were living in Chicago, or I dropped out? I was living in Chicago, then I dropped out of school, and I. Um, I went to New Orleans for a little while, then I went up to, um, I, I stopped in Kansas. That's when that happened. And then after Kansas, yeah, I went. Wow, well, you are like a Kerouac. I never would have thought to like, yeah, I'm going to buy a bus pass and just. Well, what happened was I was at, I was in Chicago studying at, at DePaul and they gave me this amazing scholarship, which is why I went there in the first place. Because I was supposed 
I was my ticket out of Kansas was football. I was a football player my what? senior year of high school. I played football and I did drama. And I, my goal was to try and get somewhere I could get a four-year degree because I wanted to be a drama teacher, like an English drama teacher in high school, and also coach football because I thought that would be really cool. I was like, so I were you be... looking to do a football scholarship so to I pay for your education? But I didn't want to play football anymore but i was getting recruited by some decent schools that were going to paul well not to paul no no, oh, no okay to like william and mary simpson uh whittier out in california uh -huh. they were all coaches had come and talked uh to me and my mom and then Weird. i did a play my the fall of my senior year which overlapped with football and the, and the drama teacher and the and the speech coach both said to me like do you you got to make a decision pursue drama more than just to be to teach it because we think that you've got something that you could really probably go try this if you wanted to try it. And at that point I hadn't, I dreamed about it, but the, the, the yeah. like thought that I would take that step was too scary for me then. And then when they said, as soon as they said that something shifted in me and then I went and they, they set up, they helped me get an audition for DePaul. DePaul ended up giving me an acting scholarship and then I was done with football. Like I walked. So the off football the field. coaches and everything were totally cool with you. Just being they like, actually like my wow. high school football coach, it was worked together with the the drama teacher to try and help me and he wasn't the kind of guy that was i mean he was he was kansas football coach but yeah. yet i think he just knew that my head was always elsewhere wow i feel like my football coach would have slapped the shit out of me if i think I a lot said... of football coaches would have and i think that's why i want my ambition then was like i want to be the this this teacher that has the long boxes of comics taking up all of his classroom space yeah. so he can draw the correlations between you know the iliad and the avengers and then be doing you know um I don't know, you know, the high school version of, of um, Serpico on stage and then coaching football. At, you know, I wanted to be like, I thought that would be so cool. And then, and then, and That's then I, so and then, and then, so then I got into college and then all of a sudden it just became acting, acting. But I had this scholarship that paid like, you know, tuition and stuff, but not housing or food. So housing and all that was still expensive in Chicago and living yeah. expenses. So I went to the school and I said, can I take a year off to um, work? Take a year off to work. And they said, yeah, you just have to, it was the program I was on. You had to come back at a specific time. So I tried, I was working graveyard shifts at a, at a like a 7-Eleven called the White Hen Pantry. And I was Jesus. working in, at a, at a, diner in the day and I just wasn't making shit. And I always <laughs> read in the back of comic books, like go to Alaska and make, you know, thousands of dollars a week. So I, Got Fishing? my first bus ticket. First, I stopped in New Orleans for a little while because I needed to have a little more mushroom and party time. A little time. more, uh, yeah. yeah. Our, our, um, our, our, uh, our, I guess he was our Burroughs was there. That's why I went there um, from my group, my gang from yeah. high school. Uh, these guys were all still really close today. I get, I'm trying to think who he Well, one was. of those guys was in, uh, from one of those, you know, uh, Kerouac Guys, not it wasn't Kerouac, but one of them was in New Orleans too. Burroughs. It was Burroughs. Burroughs was in New Orleans. Yeah, because <laughs> right. they went down to visit him several times. But uh, yeah, they, they, it's been yeah. And and so anyway, I hung out for a while. Then I went to Kansas, met the real Burroughs, and then I ended up going to. I took a bus with like fifty bucks in my pocket up to Seattle to try and figure out how to get on a boat to go to Alaska. And I uh, did you do it? I did, man. I did it for a year. I fucking hell. I walked the docks down in 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 Seattle, like the piers, when I first got there. Yeah. 
And they all were like, wait, you're what? You're a college kid from Kansas. I had long hair, you know, and, and they were just like, nope, nope, nope. And I was like, well, dude, I worked on farms. I've worked hard labor. I know I could do this. And there's no, but I just am one of those, I just don't Persistent. take no for an answer. And so I started sleeping in this park uh that dude that was right like i forget what it's called me and eve just went there last year uh to, to seattle for a vac for a vacation and, and it was cool because we walked around like this is the grove of bushes where i used to sleep and, and oh. um <laughs> and then when it would rain which it does a lot there was yeah. a place called the bread of life mission on first and main off pioneer square and i stayed i lived in a homeless shelter and i would go to these these fishing places every day and try and get a job and and finally this is hilarious finally i got this company called American Seafoods, they were doing like a hiring thing. And I showed up and they they offered me employment, but I had to go take a physical, as did everybody. And like the night before that had happened, I'd been hanging with these dudes from the homeless shelter. We'd all this one guy had this d scam running where he, he taught us like how we could go get food stamps. And then we'd sell the food stamp to this Chinese restaurant off Pioneer Square. And then we'd take the cash at like half the value and we went and bought a bag of weed. And so we were all like smoking pot at, at the homeless shelter. And the next day, the, the American Seafoods people were like, okay, now you have to take a drug test. A drug test. So I go to this dude who I'd met at the shelter who was a really awesome guy from Oklahoma. He used to, he, he used to tear up a railroad tie when he wasn't. Used to hop trains like a real true like hobo hobo yeah. yeah train riding son of a gun and he um had these great stories but he yeah he used to he used to tear up railroad tie and he would catch poisonous snakes which he would sell when he lived in the Ozarks to those snake churches uh -huh. um true story man and, I believe and, and, you and dude he, I believe you and anyway he uh. He, I knew he was clean and clean as a whistle, like clean and sober, because I had tried to get him to come smoke with us that night, and he was clean. As a whistle. So I had he, he pissed in a little, like a bottle. A, a bottle, like a Coke bottle for me. I put that in my, hit it in my pants, went to the physical, did the physical, and then the this is this is like, like God, it's so funny. <laughs> he's like stupid. I was. He's like, like, there's diet coke in your pit. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I give it to the guy, and the guy's like, well, David, I have some bad news for you. Oh no. Dude, like you're. Uh, you're either this either is not your urine or you've been deceased for a while because this is because what they do is they measure the temperature on it and the temperature oh, showed it's, it's it cold. was like 60 degrees and I go I'm not kidding Steve my comeback to that was well I I uh I I you know I drank a lot of ice water this morning no <laughs> <laughs> and the guy goes yeah you he goes why'd you just go piss so then I called the lady who hired me I was like I'm so sorry. And she's like, we do that for people like are on crack. She's like, would you smoke a joint or something? I was like, yeah, that's all I did. She's like, just come. And they, they let me <laughs> sleep on the boat. And they paid me to like work on the boat until we, we took off. And, and then I did that for a year. And I would do it the, I did it after too. In fact, when I got clean. Were you like casting and nets it. and pulling in fish and that kind of stuff? It was a, it was a factory trawler. So we caught fish and processed it on the ships. It was a 350 foot vessel. The first one that I was on huge. And. So there was nets, but humans weren't casting them. It was a it was a right. giant crane right. that would and sonar, computer guided sonar, kind of steered the ship toward these giant schools. At that point, we were doing a salmon run, and we were a big enough vessel that we would catch up, fill up our hold, and then we'd park in like a bay, and smaller vessels would come and sell us their catch. Um, and so what my job became, which was really cool at one point, was I got to get in this brailing basket that was on a crane. 
and it would go up way up high in the air and then I'd get lowered down into the hold of the smaller boat that had been pulled you know anchored with next the to fish. us with the up to here in fish in my you know uh, rain gear dead or living They're they were still dead at that, no oh, they were okay. dead at that point um, but f- just bare some were a couple floppers you know yeah. but um Ugh. And I would look at them and be like, yeah, uh, and then they, and then I'd start brailing it in, and it was so cool because I'd get to ride in this basket, like, in the middle of yeah. Alaska, looking at the Bering Sea and like the wilderness. And you didn't get seasick. Two times I got it pretty bad, but there was guys that got it so bad they had to actually like first timers, the greenhorns that would on their first trip up couldn't couldn't settle like i would do the thing behind my ear and i would take some dramamine and it felt shitty for a a little bit but then i ultimately always overcame it but there were some guys i felt really bad for because they just wouldn't stop and it became dangerous like there there was there was two guys in particular i can remember that were so sick they just one guy was was a black guy and he looked as white as like uh. a sheet of paper by the time they had him were helping him get off the boat and they and they can't take the <clears throat> boat unless it's like a I don't even know what circumstance they would actually take the boat back because they're not going to take the boat. So you have to wait for like a skiff uh-huh. to come get you, take you to another small boat to then take you to land when you're really sick. Because I got my hand crushed one time and <laughs> they just made me sit there with a bloody, like swollen hand and wait for hours until... We're not going in yet. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. They had a skiff come and take me somewhere to Dutch Harbor. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, I remember one year when I was in college, I was toying with the idea of... Because that was a big thing. I don't know if it is now still, but like in the 90s, um, this was like the early 90s. I was I knew some people who had done it, and I was considering going to Alaska to try and, and fish for a year, just to take a year off and make money. And then I went fishing with some friends uh, just here in Southern California somewhere, and I got super seasick on the boat, and I was like, I'm done. Yeah. I'm not going to Alaska. Fuck that. Seasickness sucks. It's the worst. Yeah, it's really gross. It's really gross. It's like it's like when you're in, drunk sick, it's like that, but doesn't stop. Like, I think when you're drunk sick, people throw up, and then you start to feel better. Like, it's it's It just doesn't stop. Is there a key? Like, how do some people just don't have a strong equilibrium? Exactly. I mean, some, there's, like, there's, that, there's that small percentage of people that just don't. They can't adapt. Most of us do. Over, it just takes a couple days, and that's the steaming up process. You're doing lighter labor than by the time you get up there and you're in the shit. Then the like you just it's it's 16 hour days, and we would do eight. You do eight hours with a 30 minute meal break that was like a mad dash to stuff your face, and then eight more hours, and then you another mad dash to take a shower, eat again, and then sleep. It was an amazing experience, man. I mean, I learned so much my worldview shifted so drastically during that time because there was people from all over you yeah know? and i met so many cool people and um i never worked that hard in my life but i i kind of had like that end goal you Is know it a good way to make money Did you oh make, i made a some... shit ton of money i mean it ended up helping me get through school and then and then financed the beginnings of a really heavy duty heroin habit so it was awesome <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And when I was up there, I was, man, I snug, smuggled. I wasn't a full-time junkie at that point. I had started doing dope, but I was definitely, uh, oh, I had. Is that the first place you'd done it? Up there. No, I, Chicago, right, like, weeks before I left for that first road trip, um, I was hanging out with these jazz musicians, go figure, <laughs> and uh, these guys were so cool, man, and, and they were, 
yeah, they were so cool, and they were they were junkies, and yeah. I wanted to try, and they were like, you know, no, 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 and then they'd let me like snort some, and then one of the dudes who was a drummer with that group of guys, they th- I had this like kind of going away party, like Dave's going on some crazy adventure, and and so they threw I had this party. And then in the middle of the party, he was like, where are you going? I was like, well, first I'm going to go to New Orleans. He's like, I want to go to New Orleans. I've got a friend there. So I was like, let's go. So on the drive down. just like on the road. He goes, I'm kicking junk, man. And I need your help. I was like, you got it. So we stopped in Graceland on our road trip (laughs) in my busted ass old 1983 Chevy Celebrity, which was still alive from high school. And and we stopped at Graceland. And we stopped. I remember it's called Bluebird Lane, a little cul-de-sac behind Graceland and he did his last fix I'm watching this guy like shoot up in my car I'd never seen somebody do it I'd hung out with people who were shooting up but I never like saw someone do it like that and then he hands me this little baggie full of of dimes you know and is like just don't give them back like that's it I'm done here you have it and I was gonna go throw it away but then I was like but this is like why would I throw it away, you know? Yeah. And then by the time we got to New Orleans, I was <laughs> doing all the dope, and he was like rifling was through my clean? shit. No, he was uh. trying. Um, and then we ended up just, when that ran out, we were we started just drinking cough syrup the whole rest of the trip. Oh, my God. We couldn't handle it, man. And the weird thing was, my burrow, my buddy, Steve, who was in New Orleans, who I was going to hang with, we get to New Orleans. This is so weird, man. And this dude... Um, Kel, we called him Keller, Mike Kel. He 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 would come with me. We pull we pull up to the place where we're gonna spend we're gonna sleep while we're in New Orleans, and and Steve it's a friend of Steve's because he was in a dorm I think. So we go into the house and Steve's sitting on the couch, and next to Steve, my friend on the couch is the dude that this dude was going to find when we got to New Orleans because it's his friend from high school. But this is before cell phones. It was the kind of thing where like, oh, he called shit. from like a payphone to his dorm and no one had left a message or whatever. Yeah. Like Out of all the people in New Orleans, Steve and this so other guy. So you both guy, walk in and there's and both there's the, people two, the people you're we're looking, looking for. for. Isn't that wild? Oh, my God. It was so weird, man. You're like Forrest Gump. Wow. Yeah. Life is like Love. a bag of dimes. Life is like a bag of heroin. Well, we can... You should use this to spring into uh, your movie Animals. Spring, spring away. Which spring you sprung. wrote. I did. Starred in. Starred in. Uh, and uh, I mean, for the people listening, I can't recommend highly enough. It's really, fucking really well done. Thanks, man. Um, what year did you shoot that? That's We shot in 2013, um, in August of 2013. And you no, wrote September it. 2013. So is it semi-autobiographical? Semi-autobiographical. It's, uh, it's definitely inspired by my experiences as a... Uh, when when I bottomed out as a junkie, I, was, I ended up being homeless and I was a full time crook. And, and was this in artist. Chicago? In sh- in Chicago and kind of different cities too. I I was running stuff sometimes to make money or to support myself. I'd run stuff from Chicago down to the further south Midwest or does, to Seattle. By stuff, do you mean drugs? Drugs, yes. Um, how how does someone like if you get a, a, a quantity of if I if I would let's say let's say I hit a bit of dough and then I could get a quantity of of dope in which you get a better you get a larger amount for a yeah. for a different value, you could run that down to some place like where I knew people in Missouri or in you know mostly Missouri or Kansas or Oklahoma and they and and there it's very hard to come by that caliber of stuff right. so it goes for twice the price. 
Then what you do while you're there, because you want to be a smart entrepreneur, you use a portion of the proceeds and you can this is basically I'm handing out really bad advice right now on your podcast. I hope nobody takes this no, and no. runs with it. I hope there's no, no like aspiring dealers out there. And then and you buy a and I would get a a, a quantity of um of crystal methamphetamine, which then would there was no supply of up in Chicago at that time. So that was oh, worth wow. quite a bit, which was very inexpensive down south was actually so I was just driving the the highway. So were you making money at all? Or no, were no, you no, just, just supporting myself to... and traveling and, you know, yeah, supporting myself. Supporting my habit, I mean. I can't see how someone with, like, say, a bag of dope who's a junkie would be able to just well, sit on it and get it. Therein lies the rub, my get friend. It to <laughs> there was a lot Missouri of to pulling, sell. There was a lot of pulling into the destination and, and the cargo had just shrunk considerably yeah like There's a lot of a lot of rest stops along like the american highway <laughs> system that when i drive by now is i'm a father of a two-year-old and my yeah. wife and i have a lovely life and i've sure. been clean for f almost 14 years That's now great. and 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 but we'll we'll stop at a rest stop sometimes and i'll be like oh yeah i think i like od'd in that bathroom one time or like oh god i remember <sighs> passing out under that tree uh the, although the funny thing is she goes, you say that about – they all look the same, especially yeah. along like I-35 and I-80 and certain freeways and yeah. highways. They, they all kind of are the same. So that – so but animals, that I mean that's mainly all in Chicago. The, the whole you shot it in Chicago. Chicago. I wrote the script based on these characters that um, were definitely inspired by me and people that I had known and, and a lot of it. If you see something on the screen in that particular film, it's if maybe if it's not something that I did firsthand, like there's this date scam that the couple pulls off that yeah. is really, um, really pretty like ballsy, pretty smart scam. I, that wasn't mine, but I used to hang with these kids that they were a couple, and we would all score together, and and you know you pool resources sometimes when you find a little gallery of. Of, of addicts until you start stealing from each other or her, you know, whatever. Yeah. But there was a point which in their heyday, they, I was on, I went on a couple rides with them where that was their scam and they, they would pull down oh some serious God. bread. You, you have to watch this movie. Yeah. There it's really, it's also interesting to see just how smart uh, a junkie's mind can, how resourceful. Cause I was like, I would never in a million years, the, some of the scams that you guys were running in this movie, to make money, I was like, I would never left to my own devices as a, a sober person <laughs> sitting alone. I would never be able to think of this shit in a million years. Yeah. But then there are times like I remember as a struggling actor when I was first in L.A. living in a, a fucking apartment with no money to my names. The genius things you come up with to like get food and. Yeah. I mean, desperation can 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 lead to incredible ingenuity and i think that's one of the 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 it's one of the the quandaries of being an independent filmmaker who quote unquote makes it i, I I'm, I'm always wary of like so we made animals i'm so proud of what we did we had no we had so little resources and we were so long, much of how it. long did it take to shoot we only we only had four we only had enough money that we could shoot for four weeks. We shot the movie for $180,000. And wow. so we had to do four weeks. It looks at, like, so good. It looks so good. At a too. micro budget, um, you know, and the challenges that were posed by that, my, my really good, close, one of my best friends named Colin Shifley is who directed it. And we've been friends since Chicago. He, um, 
you know, the, the, the challenges that we're, we're faced with, I felt like a lot of the stuff that when you see gold on the screen, a lot of it, you, we could sit there and be like, oh, Steve, see that where that thing happens with the cool and that? That's because da 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 da. Yeah. So now what that movie had some, you know, small burst of success and it got picked up and it went to a prestigious film festival and, and, and came out. And, and so now we're going to go make the next one. And then Collins, you know, awesome. also slated to make another film. And and you start, you, you get nervous sometimes too, because you go like, man, if you have the actual budget that you think you need, how do you make sure that you still work your ass off and keep making discoveries yeah. based on the, yeah. the things that, that were gifts. At the time, we were pulling our hair out, but now we look back and we're like, those were gifts. Yeah. Those things that went wrong, those frustrations. Like when you're a struggling actor and you force yourself to get out of your comfort zone or you're a struggling writer and you force yourself to have to go and do stupid things that you don't want to do because you have to find a way to pay the bills. Those gifts that come from that, you, you end up just finding and meeting some of the people that you work with the rest of your life, which I sure. have. I did yeah. like little short films that I didn't at the time think like, oh, do I really want to, but I need $50 and like <laughs> yes. I can come and do this. And I found compatriots for life, you know, like yeah. collaborators that I want to work with until I'm, you know, old and, and crusty. Was it, uh, was it difficult uh, reliving some of that kind of, uh, well, mentally was it like, oh, Jesus, this is just like, you know, mm, only when we I started when we started when they because they wanted me to really keep shooting heroin during the shooting of the film and like you know I kept getting hot. no I, uh, <laughs> I was like wow your no, director man. was a real <laughs> asshole <laughs> you know what was great about it it couldn't have happened any other way because he's one of my closest friends my wife who doesn't work in the industry but because we had no budget came on to help do art departments she had to figure out how to make drugs that I could look like I was really using or that weren't real drugs but that we could technically use you yeah. know all that stuff and 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 so I was surrounded by all these people that I kind of love and and trust and and then on top of that one thing that I love about acting and I love about making movies is the magic of it, like the 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 craft, the artifice, the whatever you want to call it. And so, like you, I use as an example when I think about this, like there's a scene where I'm in a car trying to find a vein because my veins are all collapsed and I'm yeah. literally jabbing a needle into every possible orifice. Oof. And when we shot that scene, that was a wonderful day, man. It was had started raining, so like our awesome team had like jerry-rigged ways that we could make it look like the weather was different outside. And then the director was standing. Oh, he was hiding behind a blanket in the back seat. Yeah. And then my wife was on the other side of the window. And it's all it's so technical sometimes in a wonderful way where it's like, oh no, can you try and like move your head a little bit that way? And I'm like trying not to laugh and like. <laughs> It was wonderful, yeah. but I think if it had been like a group of strangers or people that I didn't feel comfortable with, it could have gotten ugly fast, you know, because yeah. I always knew at any second if I started to get into a danger zone, I could just be like, uh, and they would have instantly helped, right. you know, yeah, like, let's, stop. let's, whatever, but it never, no, and, and, and Kim, who, who, who I, you know, we found and miraculously, you, you know, we looked so hard to find our Bobby, and God, she's so amazing. She'd never. She's really good. No one in that film besides me had done heroin, obviously. But even like like Colin, my wife, all these people, like they didn't even like they're not even like pot people. Like they're not even like mild drug users. Like I had to literally hold drug school one hundred and one um, in our production office, like the first day of meetings, to show everybody like 
how drugs work. Oh, I was our onset consultant, I guess. I'm fascinated by it. And I'm also just fascinated by, like, I never understand how someone will do it the first time. Like, in my head, I know, I mean, I know a long time ago, I had this philosophy of I should try everything once. I've done a lot of drugs. I've done a lot of drugs once where I'm just like, did right, it. I yeah, did cocaine. Did I did speed way more than once. I did it a lot in high school. Um, but there's something about heroin that I was just, like, I had a chance to do it once and then I, I backed out. But because I'm just like, in my head, I'm like, this never ends well for anybody. No, it doesn't. I don't, I can't yeah, think of one no... person who was like, I lived to 94 doing heroin every day. Nah, nah, but there's no cautionary tale that wanes people from the fascination or from the lure. And I think that's the, the, that's why I was, it was so reticent about when we went to go make the movie. Like, why do you throw our hats in the ring? Cause it's a subject that's been shot really well. There's been a lot of great movies about like junk yeah. and heroin addicts, but I do think what's important is making sure people get that that there that it's possible to like make it out. It is possible to make it out the other side. It is and there's very few like good stories. Most people don't and I think that there could be a higher number if the conversation shifted, but for me, man, I think it was a mixture of that those those heroes, you know, I mean, Burroughs is just one of the many people I was fascinated with as to why they lived lives of narcotic um, you know, addiction and absorption into that into that world yeah. I, I was very curious in a excuse me in a way musicians that i'd really looked up to and admired and yeah and people that i really thought were on to something what was it about that but beyond that even uh romanticized vision of it i think that i was processing a great deal of undiagnosed um psych issues and depression that yeah. was at a level that needed um care and I didn't f have those resources to, to, to do that or to talk to somebody. And so as soon as that particular, as soon as any substance entered my system, which I started using anything I'd get my hands on by probably 13 or 14, yeah. it was kind of over. Yeah. Like I just immediately, as soon as I realized that altering my state of mind was bet, felt better than the way that I just felt my resting face sure. sucked for me. Like, I <laughs> yeah. fucking hated. No, I know the feeling. Yeah. And so, heroin is, uh, you know, it's 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 should not be experienced. It's it, opiates should not be experienced except by those who are on death's doorstep or in such pain that they can't uh, that they can't yeah. have a rational thought. You try everything if you're in pain and you're listening to this. Like try everything you can besides. The opiates because they are um there's a it's a part of the human experience that i don't think we're meant to, i don't know why it exists like i don't think we should be privy to it you know do you think if you hadn't found heroin and or tried heroin you would have just ended up being addicted to something else absolutely absolutely yeah. i liked cocaine i liked everything i liked anything that was altering i was at that time and this like rubs people the wrong way uh, when i say this but i feel like i was actually like a pot addict I feel like I used it in a way that wasn't healthy or um, it wasn't useful. Yeah. I mean, it was like a wake, waking all the way through the day kind of way of, yeah. and it, and it, and it, it was an anesthetic kind of yeah. uh, use as opposed to like an exploratory use or a uh, yeah um, alcohol. You know, that's just, that's a generational thing. It's yeah. been in my family for a long time. So yeah. I was 
totally. I was, it was everything. Yes, I absolutely, I absolutely believe. And maybe who knows why the things that happen in our lives happen that we have to believe that they're always meant to be in for the best because otherwise I wouldn't be sitting here talking to my new friend right now. And that's yeah. all leads to us. It's always yeah. leading to something, but I think it's, it, it's, I, I have a lot of gratitude for the years that I had as an addict because heroin does <laughs> cut to the chase, man. <laughs> so if maybe I was a boozer, maybe it wouldn't have caught up until me, to me until I was 50. Maybe how many, how many years? I was like an active uh, addict from, 19 I started experimenting in 18 but I was active from 19 to 24 so 5 years wow yeah that's uh that's a long time long uh yeah and 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 then and then I I utilized uh a combination of different things when I was at when I finally got cuz that in, included in those 5 years was a couple of bouts of momentary sobriety uh that I relapsed really fast yeah. you know following but um when I came off, came off, I, uh, you know, I was broke and I got a job at a movie theater and at a telemarketing office yeah. and I was just serious. Like I absolutely was committed to going. Did to you do it by yourself? And doing the, I didn't do it by myself. Like yeah. the la cause I had been at that point hospitalized twice yeah. against my will yeah. and gone through rehab once by my own choosing. So yeah. I learned a lot of skills that I knew where the meetings were and I knew how to like yeah. do that thing. And I also used, um, I did a methadone maintenance program when I was coming off of, uh, so I didn't have to experience the withdrawal. So it was like 50 bucks a week and I would go to a clinic um, and I'd have to take a drug test and I went Does down. it work the methadone? I, I've, For I've me, always I never did, I understood. Used really, it's, it's, it's just replacing a street drug with a doctor prescribed so your ritual gets replaced because you have to in the beginning you have to go every morning to a clinic and you have to take your dose mm -hmm. and then you have to come back the next day now eventually if you start to take clean drug tests they'll let you take you know three days worth with you but the system that i was on it was like you started at the same amount milligram wise as you would be taking if you were doing street heroin and then are you drinking it? You drink. It was okay. a liquid that I was doing. And then um and then every month I would come down uh like five milligrams. I think that's what it was. It was every month I was coming down five, 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 five until I got down to five. And then I did one milligram a month the last five months. And that oh, for yeah. me worked. Not to say the last couple of weeks I didn't feel it a little bit, but it was that was really useful for me and helpful. But you have to be, but you can't go in. I don't think methadone, for me, it wouldn't have worked if I hadn't have, didn't have all those other uh, tools yeah. and resources. If I had just been like, I'm just going to go to a clinic and get clean. I'm now, just going to quit. I'm just going to do just methadone. Just do methadone. Because yeah. then you're, I think you could just take, you know, but whatever. I'd rather all the addicts out there be on methadone right now and stop shooting junk because then their odds of overdosing. Um, overdosing is killing so many people right now, man. It's ridiculous. And then, yeah. and, and, and luckily, you know, there's some over-the-counter now advocacy for Narcan, which is something that like parents of addicts or spouses of addicts or addicts themselves can get at like CVS for super cheap. And yeah. it's just like if you're ODing, you can just save somebody wow. really quick. Um, but like people, you got to keep people alive, man. Like it sounds like yeah. it's some old hippie dip. We just got to keep people alive. And then they <laughs> got a so shot, weird, man. That's so weird. I mean, we're talking about this because it's been almost – I mean, we're probably about two weeks shy of an exact year since my friend Harris OD'd on heroin. And he's somebody who a lot of people, I think, listening to this know of. He was 
uh, a comedian. He was a writer for mm-hmm. Parks and Rec, and um, young somebody talented. who I had no idea was doing heroin. Like, and he was functional, you know, showing up to Parks and Rec, writing, um, and. Yeah, I knew that he did a lot of other drugs, like recreationally. He was huge into Fish, the band Fish. Yeah, he yeah. would tour uh, to go see Fish all over the world. And I think once he started having success, you know, as a writer and making good money, he was afforded a lifestyle where he could go anywhere and see Fish and do mushrooms or, you know, whatever he was doing. I knew recreationally, I'd, I'd known Harris for a long time that he was doing drugs, but he seemed so functional to me. He was never a person that I would have been like, maybe you shouldn't do that. Because I, when, you know, he was 30 when he died. And when I was that age, I was functionally using drugs. I was like, I don't have an addictive personality. I smoked for like 10 years and then woke up one day and I was like, yeah, I don't feel like smoking anymore. And it was done. For me, that was it. I never yeah. had an urge to smoke a cigarette again. I'm very fortunate. You know, I did a lot of speed when I was younger. You know, I smoked opium a bunch when I lived in Oregon. I never was like, I need to do this more. Right. I had no idea for Harris, you know, that it was changing. And mentally, you know, he was going through a lot of stuff, which you're not aware of, you know, that people bottle up. And, you know, he's he spoke about it on a couple of podcast Pete Holmes podcast and Mark Marin's where he spoke about his you know his using heroin which by the time I heard that I was like I had no idea and um yeah you you really know don't know what people even your friends are going through mentally like and how well they can hide it and how he got to a point where he was just like he had gone to you know rehab for prescription drugs and then he was just like you know what this isn't i don't feel good enough on prescription drugs and he made a conscious decision to buy heroin like he didn't know anyone who used heroin he went to, i believe uh dustin um, and correct me if i'm wrong that he went to a methadone clinic to ask them where to get heroin when i would go to a new city and and like sometimes you'd ha- i'd have to for some reason find myself in a circumstance where i would have to be in a city where i didn't want to be or whatever i would always find the methadone clinic because that's where you could wait for people to be coming out and be like yeah. where do you cop around here yeah yeah and so fucking nobody like his friends i mean i know. was in a pressure cooker of a of a of a of a situation doing uh like around the clock like tr- when i went in college it was a really intense program that i was a part of and i had some really still are very close friends of mine who we spent a ton of time together no clue they knew that i was dave and i was doing just like you were talking yeah, about dave's high yeah, he was doing well not even high like oh dave smokes pot dave does this they had no clue that i was a junkie no clue man i uh, had an experience one time where i was going to be um uh, opening a, a a very important play to me very important uh one of the, the the most important plays that i ever did and and it was like a friday morning and i was at a point where i would go score at six in the morning do my dope just so i could be well for the day i wasn't a nodding off high junkie You're except functional. on like a holiday if i could get enough dope together no it's functional straight up just to feel even wow and i remember these cops dragged me into an alley they caught me and and they're they're you know they saw me and this other dude i was with we were waiting for this we'd given this 
this uh this prostitute money she was she worked at this drug spot and then she gave us the dope and i'd already stuffed it in my pants but these cops pull up these like vice cops they're plain clothers and they're like what are you doing and i was like oh you know we're just waiting for our friend he's getting a pack of cigarettes in the liquor store they're like oh okay and then they just like sat and waited and they're like taking the friend a long time and i was like look officer i'm sorry i i uh I came here to buy drugs, but you know, obviously, we haven't gotten any yet, so we'll just go. We'll just go home. Yeah, we're just gonna go, and knowing the whole while that I've got it stuffed down my pants, right? So they're like, "Come here." So we get out of the car, takes us in the alley behind this liquor store, and there's two cops, both very big guys, and he starts putting on these leather gloves. This is in your movie. Yeah, that's a real. That's the, if there's one scene in my movie that oh, is from fuck, real life, dude. Really? And he says to me, "Face or body." Oh, and well, first dude. of all, first they took my money. They took the money because I did have a little bit of money left. Yeah. They took the money, and then and then they searched me, and they didn't find any drugs because they were in my like crotch. And he said, "Face or body," and I and I was like, well, "What? Like you got to be fucking kidding me." And he said, "Face your body, kid." And I and I, and I'm thinking, I've got it. I've got to be going to open this play this weekend. Like body, body. And he wailed oh my on my God. ribs. And I I was in a in a beautiful suit doing a show that weekend, knowing that my dear friends around me were like collaborating on this like incredible work of art together. With have no idea that underneath my dress shirt, broken ribs, I've got and... uh, these giant bruises that I was trying to hide in the dressing room. Yeah. Yeah, I, that was a horrible scene in, the, in your movie, and I, I think I remember thinking this, this has happened to somebody because this is not something that you th- face or buy. That's not something you just make up. This guy, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, but and then and then, so that's a negative cop story, and I have I have I have I have some. I'm not out here to to diss the Poe. He wasn't one of those. There was a really great cop at one point. I was trying to cop it at a spot by the projects where I used to go, and he pulled over. He had two rookies with him. He's an old older guy, an old cop, and he was he was playing close too, and I had already scored, and he says to me, uh, "I'm not I'm not taking your dope, and I'm not even taking you in." And I wow. said, okay. And he said, uh, I have a daughter who's been a junkie and she's been through this system so many times. He's like, all I can tell you is I hope for your sake that you find a way to figure it out. He goes, um, but I'm after the guys that are selling it. And he's like, I'm going to do you a favor today. And he's like, tell me where the, uh, tell me where they've got the dope hidden in there. And I was like, because it was on the second floor behind like a vent. And I'm like, oh, I I don't know, man. I have no idea. And he goes, he goes, okay, all right. So really loudly, and there's and these these drug spots, mind you, have spotters all over. They have security everywhere. Yeah. He starts saying really loud. So it's on the second floor. It's on the second floor. Is that what you're telling me? And he basically makes it look like I'm telling him where they've got the drugs inside because he knows I'm never coming back to that neighborhood again. Yeah, and I didn't. T- <laughs> he said. Good luck, man. And he shook my hand and he said- Oh, and you still didn't tell? I, I didn't have to. He made it, he, he knew. He For some reason, they knew where it was. They and just he needed, was just okay. Making I, I see what you're me saying. look like a snitch. And I was like, what are you doing? You're going to get me killed, man. I can't come back here. And he was like, I'm not going to get you killed. He's like, because you're not going to come back here. Yeah. And that was that, yeah. That, I never went back to that area until years later. And that, I got clean very soon after that. Um, but I, 
we shot we went back to shoot in that neighborhood when we did animals we shot in that in that neighborhood was it still uh heavily it's changed a lot the chicago has uh, done some some useful and some not useful things when it comes to public housing but they demolished a lot of the high rises which were dens for a lot of you know gang activity and stuff and they've now um set up rows of townhouses which is cool so people can feel like they're actually living in their own homes and apartments um yeah. so that the, the high rises are gone but the neighborhood is underserved community i mean these are underserved uh you know just just segregated communities of abject poverty where the opportunities for kids who are born and grow up there are nil and uh my perspective has changed so much in the years since i've gotten clean it's been very fascinating for me to go back now as somebody who works in the fantasy land of filmmaking and and storytelling to try and explore that like I'm, i've just been in chicago in january because i want to write a i'm writing a film right now about a public school teacher in a neighborhood where i used to buy dope because i'm just i for, i keep getting drawn back there to tell stories and i want to like there's a whole lot of that stuff that i don't think we the white us guys get uh yeah, I don't. you know it's just it's and that's that's a that's a 15 minute drive away from the lincoln park you know, fancy schmancy high school in Chicago, you all, or in LA, we could drive right now in 30 minutes and be in a neighborhood where we're just like, wait, people are living like this right now? Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, well, I'm glad you fucking uh, got out of that alive. Thanks, man. You've said I, you that know, a couple I, times. I mean, I appreciate it. I, I feel like this, I've got another couple episodes to air before this over the next two weeks. So this is probably going to come out like, the same week that Harris died, which is kind of ironic, but ugh, mm. don't do drugs. Don't do drugs, man. Don't do drugs. Go get help. Go talk to somebody. It's like you people. Th- the isolating thing about this life that is so that is so frustrating to me is the way that people fall into this illusion that they're alone. Like we all do at different points in yeah. our lives, but when you really fall deep into it, it gets really fucking dark. And I. Yeah. And I, I get so sad when I think about how many people are out there and they're just so alone that they're chasing that feeling um, through such dangerous ways when there really are like amazing – it takes work, but there are like amazing resources and opportunities yeah. out there. Like I I say I'm a, I'm a, I'm not a, I'm not a happy person all the time now, <laughs> but I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm at – I'm at peace. Like I feel yeah. really. I, I I wake up with this kind of a like a seed of optimism. I've got a family that I love. Yeah. I think um, I can handle when you know like it, my boat doesn't get as rocked as hard as it used to because you've got there, a I've new really chance every day. To, resources yeah. that I've been able to take advantage of though, like talking to people, getting help, and doing all these things that if you know maybe if I'd had back then, I. Who knows, man? Who knows why things happen the way they're meant to happen? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, Harris was the most loved comedian. And, like, right, like, so many people were at his memorial that just fucking weeping. And you're just like, all he he would have had to do is just reach out to one of these people to say, I fucking want to go buy heroin. I saw him hours before he died. I saw him the I did a show with him the night before he died. I remember watching him walk out of the room going man it was so good to see harris and then the next morning someone texted me harris is dead i'm like that's impossible yeah that's impossible i saw him six hours ago yeah and uh yeah all he would have had to do is to any one of like hundreds of people say help right right 
but, but that's the, but that's the I trick don't know what we going, fall into. Yeah. That's the the internal struggle that I think is it's like it's just it's like it's just like the, if there is an evil in the world or in the universe, or there's a force of darkness. Yeah. I think that's it. It's yeah. just this weird uh, thing that humans battle against, which is this 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 this. This, this dark feeling that you're alone and isolated when you're really it's a trick it's an illusion everything's an illusion but that's the biggest baddest one that is like it's, it's yeah you know you're not going to connect with everybody and you can't like ask everybody for help but there's so many more people in this world that if you just are open to it and you're willing to like reach out that can that you could connect with it's um yeah. i mean i'm i'm I, I, I when when I one of the great gifts of making animals is going around now, you know we opened the movie in May and we were like in like twenty three cities and we went to Kansas City which is where I grew up I got to see that movie on like a screen where I'd gone as a kid I got to see it all these years and like I would speak sometimes at these things not to tell people like don't do drugs just to talk just to tell them some stories and shit yeah. and how many junkies or people that were in a really dark place like dual we call it dual diagnoses like would come up to me and be like I'm I'm 3 days in or I'm I had this couple these these girls they were they were a couple uh they were so so strung out man and they Oof. would look like they were beautiful people they were just in the shit right now, yeah. and they had come to this theater because they'd read about the thing. But they, they don't, they don't believe that people really come through it and are really truly like sober. After they just wanted to see somebody like in the flesh. And I just sat, we sat on like a little bench in the lobby of the movie theater, and I just was like showing them pictures of my wife and my kid on my phone and being like, look, I still fucking get into fender benders or I, you know, get <laughs> laid on some bills or whatever, but like, I still get the flu. I'm still, I, yeah, I get diarrhea, but like, <laughs> I am so like, it's totally possible, you know, yeah. it's, it, it's, it's great. You go get pedicures. Oh my God. Yes. Can we talk about, uh, yeah, I could just... talk as long. I'm, I'm here all day. Brother. Yeah, we can go. I, uh, <laughs> I called you last minute because somebody else canceled today. But to be fair, we we have been trying to make this happen for a little while now. Um, but you're like, yeah, I think I can make it. I gotta go get a pedicure. This is a true story. I'm, I'm I I have, and I feel like this is gonna make lead me to admit something horrible about my own feet. Th this well. goes back to when I was probably sleeping in a car, like not taking care of my body. I uh, had there was a point um, over the years where my t my all ten of my toenails <laughs> came to look like. Um, if you went to like the trash dumpster behind a Papa John's pizza and you found some crust that some like rats had dipped in their oily garlic shit and like you were like that's what the ends of his like toes Cheetos are. just like Fritos just, my wife loves me implicitly and there is she wouldn't want to go near those things man like they're just so bad and it got it was it was actually really kind of embarrassing because I'm like a grown ass man. Uh, and I didn't want to go to a pool. I didn't want to take my shoes off or socks off and yeah. like to go swimming with my family. <laughs> and uh, so I go, I get my big physical last summer and I said to the doctor, like, ah, what can I do about this? And he's like, um, you know, it's, there's, it's, you get to take a, because I had, had been to one holistic doctor who'd give me this like topical oils and shit. It just didn't do anything. Yeah, right. Yeah. So the doctor prescribes me this oral medication taking the medicine and then you can only take it for a couple months because uh it's apparently can be tricky on the old liver and my liver's done enough uh, yeah, taking. it's yeah. been a punching bag it was for so many years so 
Um, <laughs> Your so, liver's like, what the fuck is this now? Yeah, now I thought we you've cleared been clean this up. for 14 years, asshole. Toenail meds. <laughs> so I get, uh, I get through like three months of the cycle, and it all of a sudden, dude, they're looking so much better. But then, by my, the way, is this? What's the diagnosis? Is it fungal? Oh, to- to- toenail fungus. That's yeah, it. It's okay. a fungus, and, and it spread. And that's it. It's thick, yellow, crusty, gross, disgusting feet. Okay. <laughs> so I, 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 I take the medicine, and sure enough, man, it starts to like grow out, grow out, grow out, grow out, grow out. But my doctor said to me specifically, like, take it until it's completely clear, because if you don't, and there's even a little bit left within a year, it'll all be back. I've seen this it's happen. Like cancer, before. yeah. Ugh. So I get to the end of my cycle and there was still like a little layer left on the top of my toes. And so the holidays come and then I called the doctor like, well, you're gonna have to come in for a checkup visit before he can prescribe you more, blah, blah, blah. So now all of a sudden this morning was when that finally happened because I've been out of town. So I go to the doctor. I didn't want to go as pissy. This doctor always takes a long time. You get there and I'm always like, why are there five people in the lobby? Why did you schedule five of us at the same time, guys? This is a waste of my time. I've got the baby crying. (laughs) Eve's finishing a big mural today. I'm like, so the doctor's like, he looks at me. He's like, these look good. But yeah, you're going to take it a little bit longer. He gives me a prescription for some topical medicine. And then he says, I want you to go get a pedicure. I want you to go get a pedicure because they will dig out. And make your toe, like, cut them down as short as they can. Oh. And then you put the medicine on. And then, and, and I really think you're going to be 100%. And I and I said to Eve, I get in the car, I was like, I think I'm going to do a, a pedicure. So so here we're driving down Santa Monica. I'm Because I've taken her to get her pedicures before at this place over by the Target in West Hollywood. And I'm like, Eve, uh, the doctor says I got to get a pedicure. So she's like, let's go. Awesome. Like, family day at the at the petties <laughs> so we go to this joint um you call me yeah you're like hey dude you want to come do the podcast and i was like yeah but i gotta get the, the pedicure and yeah. i'm and i'm like ner- more nervous about the pedicure than coming to talk on on the podcast that's for sure and i was nervous <laughs> to come talk on the podcast but like no way. to go get on the, the pedicure because like oh this stranger's gonna have her foot her face like a foot away <clears> from <throat> my foot and like we go into the place Arlo is our baby, two-year-old. Mm. Uh, he's plopped down in Eve's lap. I'm in this very comfortable thing. I put my feet in the water. We're sitting there. We're just hanging out. Um, we're having a good time. The woman starts really going to work on those things. I was remembering like Bernie Mac and Bad Santa, and he's like, "Yes, yeah." yeah. yeah. I was just like, "This is amazing, actually." And she made them look even better as she's working. And the place is pretty empty. It's a nice place. Does it hurt at all when they're the digging in there? The only thing that hurt a little bit, and she would look at me like, like, this hurts, yeah? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it hurts. She's like, don't be little baby. Don't be a pussy. <laughs> and uh, and I look next to me, and I'm not kidding. Uh, William S. Burroughs is sitting in the chair next to you. The ghost of William <laughs> S. Burroughs is swimming. No, uh, I look next to me, and, and Kevin Smith and his wife oh, are no next shit. to me, and he... Uh, and 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 I'm like, holy shit! Like, I'm, he's I I did I he love recognize you? Eventually, he did. I mean, he's we big didn't say into anything. comics. He's big into comics and superhero stuff. Yeah. Well, and I've 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 I I love I love him and I love all that he's he he's such a champion for that stuff and that's a huge part of my life are comic books and comic book movies. Yeah. So then at one point, yeah, he looks. We made eye contact and he's like, "Hey, you've been in the like the best of both worlds," and I was so like. 
and and, and I, I was it was a really cool uh way to get a pedicure to like be recognized by a director who you think Dark is so cool Knight. yeah he's super into batman super into batman and he uh and he liked ant-man which is cool you know we got some good uh some good thumbs ups from people who uh who who are really into the genre so that made me really i remember when Gun loved Ant-Man. Yeah. Uh, that meant a lot to me because I know he really cares about the genre a lot. Kevin yeah. did liked it a lot, and uh, you know, a lot of people that I that that opinions mattered to me. Were You're really part of the fun. the Marvel family now. Are they going to do another Ant-Man? They are. It's called Ant-Man and the Wasp, and uh, it's weird. They've been begging me to try. They want to do like a camera special effects thing where I'm going to try. They want me to play both Ant-Man and the Wasp. And they're gonna replace Rudd and Evangeline Lilly with just me. <laughs> and uh, weird choice. I said, you know, no, they yes, they, they're making another one. It go we shoot it next year. And uh, as far as I know, I'm uh, I'm gonna be jumping on the. Uh, That's jump, nice. On the yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, I'm part of the colony, the entourage. Is that what they call it? Yeah, the entourage. Yeah. Uh, that's good and. How did how did you come to do Batman? Is it because you were in Chicago? So in Chicago, I got clean in two thousand um, and two. May is like May tenth ish. Two thousand two was the last time I I got high, and uh, so now fast forward five years of me working at the movie theater and working at the telemarketing job, and then tiptoeing my way back into stage because I had friends, close friends, who were up and rising in the world of theater directing in Chicago, who knew that I had gotten my shit together and, and all I was, I was just writing. I was afraid of acting again because I was always c- curious as to what was going to trigger or what, you know, I, I was just yeah. enjoying like getting my Totino's pizza and watching old reruns <laughs> and just having a life. You yeah. know, like that was so much for me, pay, having this little tiny studio apartment and a futon and a busted up TV. Yeah. And that was, that was it. I was like, God, if this is what I get. That's all you need, yeah. Thank you. Like I was so grateful. Yeah. So years of that, I was writing stories. I was writing graphic novels and and thinking about animals, like a script, you know. And then a friend of mine put me in a play. Casting director saw me. Next day I knew I started making a living as an actor again, doing commercials. And my goal was then, once I started making a living as an actor, doing commercials and theater, my goal was I I really wanted to get to work in film. So I was going to try and save enough money and move to L.A. Yeah. And then I was doing a production of of Othello, in uh in chicago it's awesome theater and uh and i heard batman was coming into town and i got to go in and audition for john papsidera what what i was told what i went to audition for was the bank robbers at the beginning of the movie did you know it was the dark knight or did you i knew it was the i knew it was the dark i knew it was the sequel to batman begins and that christopher nolan was directing it and i was i mean dude i was yeah. I was freaking out. Yeah. I was, I was, it was all I could think about. Yeah. <laughs> and I, uh, and I went in and, and the, the role I auditioned for was, yeah, the clown bank robber, uh, Shift. one of those guys. No, no, no. The guys at the beginning of the movie, remember in the oh, heist? Oh yeah, yeah, that killed That's each what other. I auditioned for, oh, uh, those, one of those guys. Okay. But then the casting director was like, uh, he just said, oh, I want you to, to read for the director so I came in the next day and, it, and wow. I got to read for Christopher Nolan just the sides that were like you know there he is or no like uh, you know he something like he thinks he's getting our share of the, the cut he's not even here and, and then I'm supposed to shoot a guy you know Yeah. so we had fun playing with that scene but then I went back to rehearsal and I read in the paper a week later that they were shooting this bank heist scene in Chicago with these clown mask guys like, and I, I was 
it wasn't just I didn't get it, dude. I was devastated. <laughs> I was like, I was beside myself. I was on a train heading to rehearsal, and I sat for like a 15-minute rest of that train ride and just let it hurt bad. Yeah. And then I said, when you get off this train, leave that shit, because I had to go to work. Yeah. So I, I did my best and I just, I just tried to leave it behind. But I, I, there was something about when I had read with him that I felt like I, I'd never get that feeling. Yeah. And I had this feeling like, I got this. Yeah. Like there's something going on here. Well, lo and behold, four months go by. Four months? Four months. Fucking hell. My agent called, and I had long gone let it go at that point. Four yeah, months, I was just like, sad. Every time done. I'd hear about them shooting something around town, I'd be like, oh, damn, man, that, that was. That's always going to be there haunting me. Fuck. Four months Four later, my months. agent called and said, they're not saying what it is, but you're going to be uh, a thug. And, uh, and, then I, and, then, and then I got, uh, and we, we shot in Chicago and we shot in, in London actually a little bit. And uh, no shit. it changed my life, man. It really did. I, I, it was everything, it was everything I, I, I could have hoped that it would be. And, and I was in such a state of, um, of anxiety uh, and I was just at that point starting to learn about my anxiety, but it was so intense that I was a lot of it's like a fever dream. A lot of my life experiences that are that intense, like going to South by or having our kid and stuff like that. I look Such back at the memories of them and they're like when I've had fever dreams, they're beautiful. They're intense. They're it's like editing, you know, uh, it's like, but, but it, it was, it was an incredible experience. Yeah. And, and he, and, how many yeah. days of work was it? I did like five days in Chicago. Most, a lot of which was just like standing around and marching, and then, and then getting, um, you know, and, and I did a scene in the back of an ambulance with oh, that's Eckhart, a great where scene, he's like yelling man. at me. And then, when I went to London, I was on weather cover because they were doing exteriors, um, and it was a scene where I'm tied up, and Eckhart's got the the gun and the uh, the coin, and. Um, and then Batman saves me. And every day they <laughs> Batman saves yeah. me. And they That's they gave so me a cell phone, and they would call every morning and say, "Like just a you're, burner." Yeah, you're free today. And I could call the states. You call anyone you want. The hotel I was staying at the Mandarin Oriental in Hyde Park. My apartment in Uptown Chicago at that point was as I was in a studio apartment at that point that was smaller. I'm not shitting you than the bathroom of the <laughs> hotel room where I was staying. And I was like, and, and they'd give me cash every day. And they would say, do you want to go see a show? Like, is there anything you want to do? So I just sit and they would go, okay, we're not using you today for 21 days. What? For 21 days. They kept calling and saying, we don't need you today. We don't need you. Because they were waiting for the weather to get bad because I was an interior. So I was there just in case they needed to go inside to do uh, uh, an interior and it was this beautiful October in London which and you're I getting paid every fucking day every day getting paid plus getting a per diem plus staying in this hotel that was sick and getting tickets to go see I got to go see you know Patrick Stewart do Macbeth I got to go to these great exhibits at the museums I got to just write and walk around yeah and then finally, the day, my number came up, and the day came, and they said, "Okay." Was it just one day of work? One day of work, and it was, and it was, it, but it took it twenty took, days. When I was done with that day of work, I was exhausted for about three days. No kidding. It was, what was the scene? The scene where I'm tied up oh, and, and I'm screaming and crying, and he's got a gun against my head, and then. And then Batman saved me. Yeah, you were so good. I think that's the first thing I remember seeing you in. It's the first thing left, I ever did. You left a good impression because so I was like, man, that guy fucking. Thanks, you seemed man. psychotic. Thanks. Like you really, you uh, you're a fucking really good actor, man. Oh well, thank you. 
<laughs> um, yeah, I know. It's the it was the first uh, I'd done at that point a good deal of theater in which I I I've been very fortunate that I always gravitated towards and loved characters that were on the fringe and that were um, I really love misunderstood characters. I love yeah. characters that are wrongfully accused or that are yeah. um, just just completely like have a very strong purpose. They're trying to do something and it's just not fitting into the equation of what's happening around them. That's been something that has happened to me a lot. So I've played a lot of, and that tends to fall into what people would call bad guys. Although when you step back from them, you realize a lot of them aren't traditional like right. villains. And uh, so I'd done a, a great deal of cool, weirder, you know, interesting characters on stage. And, um, and then it started happening again once I fell into the film world. I did a couple like comedic like commercials and stuff which were just kind of like everyman things, but most of the film and TV stuff I've I've done has been um these these kinds of these characters that uh I'm so grateful. It's it's so it can be hard. It can really be hard sometimes on the the mind or on your body, yeah. but it's so fun. How is Christopher Nolan to work with? Awesome. You'd love yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. He's like um I, I think he's he's a genius and I think that he is uh I think he is he's he's one of the marks of a great director I think is the ability to uh he is a, is a great leader and I always felt like when he was on set he he's got a he's got a great stature about him and a great energy about him that yeah. you feel like he knows he's in complete like if not in control in complete confidence that what's happening is what's meant to be happening yeah. and so it was a pretty chaotic scene if you think of thousands of extras and, oh my God. and and IMAX cameras and regular cameras and and having to change shots and relying upon sunlight and da 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 da, da. and uh, he and, really changed the tone of Batman too like changed the tone of filmmaking. I was finally I was like because I was never into those earlier Batmans like Tim Burton's and like, I was just like it's so cartoony. It's almost like live action animation. I was like eh, it's okay. I was never into it, and then um, Batman Begins came out, and I was like, "This is, this is what Batman should have been all along." Just like this fucking guy in a really dark fucking place, and well, he yeah, his approach to it was the like if you're I collected comics, I started in the '80s, and they were much more broad, brighter colors, uh, different kinds of storylines. Getting into the late '80s, early '90s, and through the '90s, because of the leadership, I think of writing genius of people like Frank the Frank Millers uh, it went into a darker space and I think that Nolan smartly approached this filmic uh, you know iteration of Batman in that way and it, so it's like a Michael Mann movie yeah, yeah, meets totally. um, a great high drama with um, with cool action and, and, and I think uh, I think that uh, I, I don't know I I, I don't. I don't think they all have to be like that. I think a matching tone is important, but Batman's the perfect superhero for that tone because he's one of the most human of the superheroes. You know, he's oh, definitely yeah. one of the people that we. You still you could rationalize the plausibility of Batman. Yeah, couldn't you? Like, oh yeah, we might know. I just I don't I don't like Rooker is in such good shape. Michael Rooker. Yeah. What if like he secretly is like puts on a a, a secret outfit at night? <laughs> he goes and, like, out. And beats, goes in this like beats up crooks. Beats up crooks and has some cool gear and shit. Like I think there are people out there that could, that could pull up. Superman is a different thing. It's He's a totally alien, awesome. Yeah. I love I love all different heroes. And that's what I've loved about being in the Marvel world too. Because 
I mean, the Avengers are a different kind of style. It's a different tone. It's a diff- There's a lot more comedy coming from Stan and the gang's writing yeah. that had evolved in those characters. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, oh, and what I was gonna say that about about Nolan that was maybe it was just my experience, but I was so nervous, and I think he immediately picked up on that. He had a. He was very funny with me. We, he was very. We, he was not like loud funny, but just like he had a very good sense of humor, and he got me to crack up quite a few times. And I think oh, that awesome. was really useful. Uh, in making, I, I felt like he made he made me he convinced me that we were kind of conspiring together. Yeah. And I realize when you step back and you go, he makes everybody feel that way. He he also uses a lot of the same people. Are you hoping that <laughs> someday it's been like four movies since yeah. then? So I I think maybe I had my time with him. I don't know, but he's uh, he's made some casting choices in some of his uh, films since that I've gone like, come on, man, that yeah. guy. Yeah. Stunk it. Luckily, the people I think that about too, like stunk it up in the movies too. Yeah. Do you, did that actually open doors as far as did you? Huge. It still does. Auditions where they're like, oh yeah, this is this guy was great in Dark Knight. We got to get him. Well, in Well, I was still in sh- technically in Chicago then, and I booked a, another commercial great gig that was got me to live in New York for a while. It was being shot and. Um, run by Chris Smith. You know Chris? Mm-mm. He directed American Movie. Have you seen American oh Movie? Oh my god. Yes, okay. You know Chris is a I is a really good love that Chris movie. Pro- is one of our producers of Animals. No shit. Be- yeah, so we started shooting com- he directs commercials sometimes and we were shooting co- these commercials together and we became f- friends quickly and uh started doing work together all the time yeah. and he got me these great jobs. So I lived in New York for like a year shooting these commercials with my friends. And during that time, I couldn't really get like much. A, like a whole campaign of commercials? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or for yeah different... I was doing Berg, Wendy's hamburger commercials. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Check them out. They're on wow. YouTube, man. Oh, I got to see um, that. So then I came to L.A. with no, even though I'd done that little small part in The Dark Knight, you know, I, I, was, I had a resume of mostly theater credits, but I was SAG and I had a reel that was mostly commercials, but it had The Dark Knight scene and some shorts that I'd made with my friends. Yeah. And I came to L.A. just like utterly determined that I was gonna do it you know and and so I couldn't get it I got turned down by a lot of agents and really and, uh. and I, I met with a lot of people who who I thought were like podunk and they were like pass <laughs> pass and that just made me more like oh okay I just uh, your loss y- yeah yeah you have to have that weird crazy mentality so I started um cold dropping my shit off at agencies and and offices and one of them um that I dropped off with ended up being a company I worked with for a very long. We don't work together to right now, but we're still very close. Um, there's my uh, manager I worked with at Principato Young, oh, which yeah. is a really great I management guys, company. Yeah. And I, um, a guy named Ted Bender over there who happened to, uh, you know what happened? I snuck up to the floor where they were. They had a receptionist, a true story. And the receptionist said to me the same thing that all the other people had said, which was, I'm sorry, like we don't take unsolicited submissions. And I said, uh. do me a favor. I got and go real fuck yourself. No. <laughs> no. She was cute. I was kind of single at that. Yeah, I was totally single at that time. This is 2000 and 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 8, 2009, 2009. And I go, uh, do me a favor. I tried to put on my best like <laughs> like smoky voice, you yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, take this home and watch it. And if you like it, will you give me a recommendation? Oh, that's that's 
months later, I had gone actually back to Chicago to my one of my hometown theater companies, Shattered Globe, was doing a production of Sam Shepard's Buried Child that I got to be in. And so I went back to do it. And I get this call from an, a Beverly Hills phone number on my cell phone. I'm like, hello? <laughs> and it was this dude saying, hey, man, I don't know how, but I got this copy of your reel and this cover letter and, you know. Uh, Amazing. I'd love to work with you. So when I then I came back to LA and I and I uh, and I and I yeah I, I I did it. It's amazing the shit you have to go through even when you've done something like The Dark Knight. Like it's a fucking massive movie, and to still have to be like, yeah, sorry, we don't take unsolicited. You're like, I was in a huge fucking movie. Ugh. But I got here, man, and I and, and and even working with a manager, and then I got to start working with an agency. I um, I still found that the best way for me to further my work was, you know, I was constantly looking at the boards and seeing what was looking for people non-paying work. I was doing. Yeah. I went right back to that. I was doing sure. like I had saved up enough doing the commercials that I could just try and find talented people <laughs> that I wanted to work with. So I was doing like yeah. free short films, music videos. Um, and just going, just trying to connect with people, and and then over time you start to collect. There's a couple of numbers and names in your Rolodex yeah. that you're like, that guy's going places, and sure enough, they start making cooler and bigger shit. You yeah. know, man, um, Steven, 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 and, and here we sit today <laughs> in the heart of Burbank, Starburn Studios. To to are you are you talking publicly about what you're doing? Is that uh, you're you're not talking about the fact that you've dyed your beard? You're oh, not? I'm gonna, no, I don't want people to know about You don't want people beard. to know about the green? No. Oh, did I just give it away? <laughs> We're joking. I don't have green in my beard. I'm not playing the Joker. Green and- hey, how was, speaking of the Joker, how was Heath Ledger? He was amazing. He was so cool. He was as cool as the day is long, man. He was like- He's um, as cool as he seemed like he was. He was as cool as he seemed like he was. We spent a couple days in Chicago standing around drinking coffee, smoking cigarettes, and just talking music. He loved music, uh, and Chicago's a great town for bands sure. and music, and he'd gone to some of the clubs that I would go see my bands at, and he, um, so we just started talking about music, 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 and he, um, this is 2007 yeah. that we filmed that. I, at that point, like, he turned me on to Animal Collective and Panda Bear at that time. I didn't know uh, who they were, and, like, some other cool bands that, you know, he was, and, 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 yeah, like just uh, it's it's frustrating to me sometimes to hear people talk about people like the idea of creating um, some kind of unnecessary mythology around actors. Sometimes yeah. they like to create some kind of it's not enough for people that his performance was so breathtakingly fucking perfect and beautiful yeah. that they want to think that he was suffering Tortured and that the role and, killed him. Yeah. I said I I I. Very rarely am this ballsy with my sense of humor, but the guy emitted such a good energy when I first met him that upon like just meeting each other, I said, you know, how's it going? You know, he's like, good. And I said, he said, you know, let me know if you need anything or whatever. And I said, uh, I got to be honest, man. Like when I heard that you were going to be playing the Joker, I thought that was like the worst idea ever. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes... I thought the same thing. <laughs> and I was like, but how's it going? And he and he was like, I'm having the best time ever. And he was. Talk about a dream he role. He was having fun, man. And like 
so happy. He seemed really happy to me, you know. Yeah. And he also, uh, he's an actor that's those enviable sons of bitches that you'd be standing talking to them about bands or whatever, and then somebody comes and calls, you know, places, and he's like, "Oh, hold on a second. And he goes and like Snaps. just. Just has that gift. He just had a beautiful gift, man. Uh, a beautiful, what beautiful a shame. gift. Um, but I'm so grateful. I'm grateful I got to just stand by his side for a little while and, yeah. and get to bask in his glory. And he taught me some cool stuff. And yeah, cool, really nice guy. All right. Well, fuck. We've gone uh, 99 minutes. That's pretty good. That's really good. Eve um, says, sup. Sup, Eve. What's up, Eve? Uh, do you have anything you want to plug coming up? Yeah. Um, Any jobs that you're allowed to talk about? Let's see here. Well, no, I hope people do. We were talking about our film, my film, Animals. Um, AnimalsTheFilm.com is the website where you can find out how to um, watch, rent, or otherwise enjoy it. And um, I, uh, I'm i getting ready to go shoot something with that same team that I'm really excited about. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I I, I I got to work on Belco experiment. That'll be coming out it's later. Kind of how year. we met. That's how we met. Yeah. And, and I uh, have sadly had to bow out of it because yeah. my dad was sick. But um, um, so that's coming out later this year. I can't wait. Uh, cool series on Sci-Fi called Twelve Monkeys that is uh, uh inspired oh, yeah. by the uh the by, movie by the Gilliam film and the story and uh, I uh have a cool little thing coming up on that and I think next month maybe that starts airing. Oh, nice. Um, and then, yeah, the, the the gang that made Animals, we are very excited to be getting very close to going to um, to make another film. Uh, I want to be shooting um, back where I grew up in Kansas. Um, it's a script that I wrote that is, uh, you know, it's as, it's as hilarious and uplifting as Animals was. Uh, <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. And... Um, and my wife's, uh, I mean, I like to plug sure. because it's so cool to see, like, it just came from her finishing a mural. She's a muralist, and you know my wife, Eve. Mm -hmm. um, her website's evelynlee.com, and her company that she's- that L-E-I-G-H. L-E-I-G-H, evelynlee, L-E-I-G-H.com. And her uh, her company, The Painted Line, uh, The Painted Line, I think that's like her handle on Instagram and stuff, but she's doing these- it's this thing that anybody listening, doesn't matter if you're in acting, writing, uh, if you want to be a fucking great, you know, snow cone maker, whatever the deal <laughs> is. It's like she had this real difficulty, this obstruction, this blockage with like the concept of monetizing something that she liked doing creatively. And she worked really hard on like owning the fact that it's okay to like go out there and put yourself out there and make yourself vulnerable and find a way to like actually start doing that as like a job and claiming that and she started doing work around the city a lot of it gratis but a lot of it yeah. for trade or for discounted rates yeah and sure enough people started picking up um people started picking up her work and now and then she got articles written about her in different you know papers and then uh and now she's uh calling and now she's calling me but she's she's working like people are just finding her work so that's my encouragement to people hey just come on up and say hi to us oh okay i'll be right down oh she outside she's right? outside oh yeah. can you go uh let david's wife in yeah <laughs> they're coming to get you um 
Awesome. Yeah, Sorry. you should check <laughs> out check out her stuff on Instagram. It's yeah. really good. It's really um, cool. It's and, cool to be partners. You know, she's my life partner. She's my best friend. But like, it's rad. Uh, it's rad to see somebody's like gifts just continue to flower like that. Yeah. You know, it's just awesome. She's so talented, and she just had to like, she started claiming it and just being like, you know what, I'm gonna do this. You know, She's doing and good putting her too. putting herself out there. It's, it's scary, you know. It's scary for us. We have to keep throwing ourselves out there, and you just have to keep being like, "I'm." There's no job security in what we do. None. What are you doing None. tomorrow? I don't know. I don't know either. Let's go to A and W, man. <laughs> yeah, you can fucking work for five years on a sitcom, and then boom, one day it's done, and you're like, "I'm." You're starting over. At, at, yeah. at fucking. What are you doing? What are you doing? So yeah. We'll um, we'll 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 go to Alaska together to raise financing for our next. We'll make a film together, Steve. Okay, okay? but I'm not getting on a Me fishing boat. <laughs> no, Alaska. I'll just sell people my <laughs> clean urine. Stupid brutes. <laughs> I'm just gonna walk next time. And your uh, social networking handle is my last name, Dastmalchin. D a s t m a l c h i a n. Uh, well, this was awesome, man. Thank you for doing it. Thank you. And uh, I could have talked for a, another Let's couple hours. Yeah, we can do it again because we didn't talk about Sushi Girl or yeah. Prisoners. Yeah, a lot of stuff. Um, we didn't talk about my the other funguses that I've been battling. Oh, yeah, I have unwanted a, hair I issues. I have the toe fungus thing, too, but only on one toe. We're going to talk about it. All right. We're going to delve into that. All right. All right. Well, thanks for doing this, David. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, gang. Bye. Au revoir. Feral Audio. Want entertainment designed just for you? Then check out customizable streaming TV from Xfinity. It makes your life simple, easy, awesome. Xfinity gives you customizable streaming TV options. Enjoy the most free shows anywhere on any device and even access your streaming apps right on your TV with X1. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply.